The last 20 years have seen an explosion of cool tech, shiny digital apps, and progressive business models, but not all have migrated successfully to traditional banking. Have we lingered too long in the glittering halls of cutting edge? Have we forgotten the real goals of reliable, trustworthy, and functional banking? Is it time to find the real magic in building a bank that works? Welcome to Functional Banking Magic, a podcast that aims to tell the stories of the magic in a bank that works. I am Liz Lundley, Deputy Editor of The Banker, and today we are looking at making banks a safe space. So there are many factors that can impact a personal bank balance. However, issues around domestic abuse, ranging from financial control and exclusion to personal addiction such as gambling, can have a devastating impact on an individual's financial well-being. What role do banks play in creating a safe space to take charge of your life? I have two wonderful people here who are going to shed some light on this topic for this episode. So I've got Kimberly Long, who is the Asia editor of The Banker. Hello, Kimberly. How are you? Hi, Liz. I'm good. Thank you. Good. Do you want to tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Previously, I was covering transaction banking for some time. I'm so very familiar with Liz. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And now focusing on kind of all things banking and economy in Asia, from Central Asia through to the Pacific Islands. So pretty broad remit there. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And also, I have Harriet Alder. Alder, exactly. Oh my God, I love it when I pronounce words, people's names correctly, (laughs) who is a PR by day and a campaigner for Farrah Finance, also by day and night. (laughs) So Harriet, tell us a little bit about yourself. Really, thank you also for having me here. It's really nice to be talking about this, such an important issue. And I think, you know, I have a background in um, banks in particular, but, you know, I've worked with six, I've helped build four. And from the very beginning, it's always been about those campaign opportunities and those stories that we tell. So working with uh, the likes of Starling Bank on the Make Money Equal campaign and Challenger Brands, sort of looking at how you can build fairer finance. So very much a kind of a spectrum on, in that space and uh, leading a fintech PR team by by day, as you say, <laughs> at Common Industry. Excellent. So I'm going to I'm gonna ask kind of a general question before we start to drill down a little bit into some of the issues that we're going to be discussing today. And I'll, I'll probably start with you, Kimberly. You know, what What role do you think banks have or or should have kind of in society? Hmm. I think it's interesting. I think that kind of idea of like the the high street bank, especially of just having this place where you can just hold your money. It's like it's really moved on from that now. We've really seen that kind of rise as like the bank branch is like the lifestyle space almost as well. I mean, I remember... I think it was in Manchester a few years ago there was like a I'm not entirely sure which bank it was now but there was like a whole thing of like you can come and do yoga and here's a cafe and you can like hang out with your <laughs> Could friends. Could be any of those banks yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like it's definitely um there's definitely been kind of a shift in that but also it's that kind of thing of well actually you know a bank as a brand is something that we fundamentally trust you know we put all of our money in there you know it's it's like a hugely you know it's it's a space that we should feel we can trust them to have our best interests in heart and kind of protect our, our finances, you know, the things that are most important to us, you know, it's where you get your mortgage out, it's where you get saved for your pension for your future, whatever, you know, it's that kind of that kind of trust basis. So I think there's, you know, it has a really important role kind of at the heart of society in many ways. Mm. No, no, I, I agree exactly. So Harriet, I wanted to get get your views on this as well. When, how do you see roles or should yeah, their role be? I think so? it's a really fascinating one. I was actually, oh, this is weirdly existential. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I, when I saw this question, it's that kind of actually... You know, if you think about the definition of what a bank is and what it does, it is the transactional side of things. It is the commercial side of things. It is all these different elements. And you have that, uh, you know, it's it's saving, it's lending, it's your debit card and all those kind of things. But actually, when we talk about them today, so many banks are also talking about how they create the opportunity for their customers to have a healthy financial life. And that obviously takes it a step further. It's about that personal side of things and actually how you support people more holistically with their money, not just, oh, this is how you spend, this is how you uh, have an overdraft. You know, it's not just about the ease of opening up products anymore necessarily. And I don't think that necessarily undermines any traditional understanding of a bank but I do think it has brought it into uh, the world today in a slightly different way in a slightly different role in society because I think it's that building for social impact building um, for social responsibility that's really at the core particularly with some of the new neo banks um, that are coming up at the moment. Mm. I wanted to stay with you a bit because I wanted to talk I mean I noticed sort of in general there's a lot more conversation around 
Um, it's called sort of, you know, financial control and domestic abuse. And um, I feel like a presenter on BBC Women's Hour to say, you know, these things can happen to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, in, are women the more common victims of using financial control as a, as a domestic abuse type situation? Yeah, so I think the stats say that women are typically uh, the more likely victim survivor of economic and financial abuse, which is now you know, recognised as a form of domestic violence. One in five women have suffered from some form of financial abuse, but also one in seven men have. So they're not, it's not just affecting women, mm-hmm. but it's also affecting men as well. It's also really about how vulnerable you are and why you're vulnerable. So other communities that are, do typically sort of have a higher... Um, sort of ratio and sort of percentage in terms of who is affected are people who are a bit older and maybe are less able to look after their own money. People who are um, from certain communities, so the LGBTQ plus community, maybe who are intersex, who have different sort of, you know, elements of where they sit in society and therefore are more vulnerable because they haven't got the support systems in place sometimes. All of those kind of things can lead to actually you being part of this sort of victim survivor um, position and actually... It, yes, it does predominantly affect women, but it's it's a much larger community that's affected. Mm. What do you think, Kimberly? Is it like what are some of the communities that you see that tend to get affected? Yeah, I mean, definitely, there's that kind of the thing that is pre- predominantly women who are in, impacted by these kinds of things, whether it's like the domestic violence or the economic violence. And you know, just um, when you're talking about some of the stats, I mean, I'm just reading through as well. There's a, a study that I found which was um, Refuge. Um, from 2020, and it's 16% of adults in the UK, so they have experienced in economic abuse. I mean, so that's like a you know a huge number of people who've been impacted by this, and I'm sure it must cover from all kinds of of backgrounds and all kinds of different lifestyles as well. You know, it's it's a it's it's a significant issue if you're talking about only you know 20% of the population have experienced this at some point. But there's definitely areas who are going to be more vulnerable to these things, like you say, like with perhaps with the elderly who maybe aren't as, as savvy with the technology and the may, they're still thinking of getting bank statements in the post kind of thing. It's that these sectors where maybe there are more potential for these people to be exploited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think? I'm going to stay with you a bit. I mean, in, in some of your reporting on, on what banks do, have you seen any examples of, of taking these types of issues into an account when launching products or developing products? Yeah, it's interesting. So when you kind of mentioned this this podcast to me, so I did a little bit of research about what kind of just looking at UK because that's where we are, kind of high street banks were doing. And I thought it was quite interesting because it's not something I've ever really come across, if I'm completely honest, like where banks have actually said, oh, we are doing this as a thing. We're kind of focused on this. And, you know, looking through is like Lloyds Bank have got some support for, um, for financial abuse, Santander, um hsbc you know they've all kind of like flagged these things up on their website but it's like there's not really that kind of granular level i think of support it's more kind of like if you're having issues here's a flag of things that you can do or whatever and you know and i was just thinking about the different things on these websites so like i mean i i'm very active in like community volunteering and projects and stuff so like i've you know i've i've helped support um like a women's um refuge in hackney where i live before now and like a lot of the women's websites like the web the refuge websites like they'll always have like a hit this button to get out kind of thing and i was Mm. just looking at these bank websites and thinking "Hmm, it's interesting that they don't have that really so like if you are someone experiencing domestic abuse you know if you're looking this up on the website like you can't just like get out of it you know and interesting Mm -hmm. i just thought that was something that's a very small thing but potentially something that might put someone up from looking for support from their banks even if they are suffering this kind of abuse Mm -hmm. yeah so most of the things that you've seen have just been you know like sort of a lesson plan instead of yeah basically like if you need support you can do this and it was things like oh, you know, you don't need to share your PIN numbers with other people over the bank accounts, blah, blah, blah. It's like, mm, but if you're in a very coercive situation, someone will get their PIN number from you, you know? Yeah, and the stories you hear are, you know, very, very visceral. It is that combination of domestic violence meets financial control, meets coercive control, meets all the different things. You know, it can be very much part of a, a much bigger um, experience or, or more, you know, d- lots of different elements to that sort of experience for people. I think what's really interesting that you were just saying there as well, like about banks not necessarily building those products, um, is that so much of it seems to be if you talk, if you look at what they are providing, it's in their customer service channels. So you have to self-report and you have to go, I need help, and it's actually quite a, um, it's quite a significant step for a lot mm. of people to have to take at that stage. Whereas, you know, actually, I think some of the 
neobanks are doing some interesting things here. So Monzo has actually introduced a tech tool to help survivors. Um, so it's an in-app traceless messaging um, feature, which is called the Share With Us. And actually it allows them to discreetly notify the bank of their situation to raise any concerns over particular transactions. So they can set up code words to alert authorities if they want to. So if they're worried that something is escalating, they can set up code words for um, their customer service channels. And actually it's I think it's been used 2,500 times was this mm -hmm. figure I saw. So they've built something very unique there that's really fascinating. And I think that actually the same thing is there with their gambling block. And I think Starling and a couple mm -hmm. of the other neobanks are built in sub there as well. So if you think that you're maybe um, in a situation and you can't get out of it yourself and you just want to be able to sort of identify it and you do have control, it's still your, your choice. But you don't necessarily have to go through the whole thing of, asking for specific help immediately you don't have to self-identify and go through the process of telling your story necessarily yeah. straight away it's kind of like is the onus on the person being abused or are there have you seen any banks like train their staff to kind of recognize that something might be happening so i've definitely heard stories of banks training their staff to recognize when issues are happening i think there's also some really interesting technology that's being used by not necessarily banks but by fintechs there's a company called Ophelos, which are a debt collections challenger. Now, you don't necessarily think of ethical debt collection. Uh, you think of bailiffs and red letter notices and all these kind of things. But they're, do they're working in a very, very different way. And they have a feature in their um, sort of customer service channels, again, where they can identify certain language which suggests that someone might be vulnerable, and then they can then act on it. So if they're saying, this has happened, my... Um, you know, my child is sick, or my husband is doing this, or whatever it is... Um, they can then sort of set up a flag and say, we think this person might be vulnerable and then look for ways to help them and sort of in, have a conversation with people that maybe is on slightly different terms. So they can look at, they can see the signs earlier and that can also work for things like coercive control and economic and financial abuse. So it's not just, um, you know, when someone's got COVID, it's actually all these other things as well. So they're doing some very interesting things. I think that's the kind of stuff that maybe banks could do more of. And actually, if you have those flag systems set up, then you can then maybe progress the conversation and sort of actually support people in a more proactive way without waiting for them always to feel that they have the ability to do so. Because sometimes you can get locked out of your account or you could have access taken away entirely, all these different things. So Kimberly, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna to go to you because I'm really interested to know about any sort of you know like bank-led campaigns to address some of these issues we've been talking about. Yeah, I mean, just again through my like basic kind of research, there's um, TSB have started up a scheme whereby women can go into branch if they are need help escaping abusive partners, um, and they'll have a trained member of staff there. I mean, obviously, I don't know how this works kind of like in in real life, but. Um, you know, it's that kind of thing of having a safe space, having somewhere that you can actually go to and find mm -hmm. someone to help you without maybe going down the, you know, a more formal kind of channel and then being able to signpost somewhere else to go to. So I think there's that kind of, and it's that kind of physical presence on the high streets as well. You know, it's not having someone to go out of their way. You know, you can literally just go to the bank branch and get support that you need. So I think, you know, things like that are actually a very innovative way of doing these things. And it's an, it's an interesting step. I think before we came into this podcast, you talked about mentioning what's known in the wider press as fuck off funds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, said, I said to Liz, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Um, yeah, and I think that's really interesting because I like I Google this again. So it's like the fuck off fund, um, which is basically having, um, for anyone uninitiated, having a separate bank account where I think predominantly women will save money where they can thereby use to fuck off should it be needed. Mm -hmm. And... I think it's one of those things where actually I was like, hang on, this this is actually really not good. Like you Google it, if you just Google the words, like you'll get up all these like articles from like Cosmopolitan magazine and stuff like that. It's like, why is this mainstream? Why is the concept of like having money there just to like flee an abusive situation? Something that's like just a mainstream but I, concept. But I think that this is one of the one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this is, and I've talked about this on, on other podcasts. Sorry, I, I'm doing the mistake of the moderator and and bringing my stuff in. But, you know, um, having women, especially women being in control of their bank accounts is something new. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, you know, your husband controlled, you had to hit him to co-sign stuff. So this, this idea that women can have their own bank account that no one else can touch mm. is kind of a radical thing. Whether or not you're in an abusive relationship, yeah. you know, you, mm -hmm. we see all those really bad retro jokes about, Oh, I hide the credit card bill from my husband. Like, you know, like who who cares? Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's that's been the life for a lot of people often. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's an it's a having your own as a woman having your own bank account with your name on it is a is a new thing. Yeah. And then yeah. I think like kind of with the the concept again of the fuck off and I just quite like saying it. Um, <laughs> is that you know say if you for example have a joint bank account and your partner can then see online kind of maybe that account or money that's going in or out of that account like oh what's this account where's this money going to kind mm-hmm. of thing you know i think maybe for the next step for banks if they wanted to provide support in that way is to have maybe a way that you can have it as a secret account or mm-hmm. something that you can you know it doesn't show up to anybody but you you know i don't i don't know how they would do this but i'm just thinking like you know, there's no point having this this money to be able to leave if you need it. If your abusive partner knows about this and knows how to access it, that's not that's mm-hmm. defeating the object entirely. So it's maybe something where they can, you know, where you already mentioned around. I think it was Monzo where they have the mm-hmm. that that kind of like secret way you can contact them. Well, surely there must be a way you can secretly have a separate store of funds mm-hmm. if you need. So there's it. a couple of really interesting ideas around this. So Nina Mahanti, who's the founder of Bloom Money, so that's a of a way for people to build their wealth um, when they come from migrant communities. And she and I were talking about this not that long ago because she was talking about an idea where you can be part of these circles on her app and it will help you potentially rebuild your credit score, right? So if you're recovering from abuse um, or if you're trying to repair any finance, like financial credit scores and those kind of things that may have been negatively impacted. Another idea she was talking about was actually how potentially you could identify to your bank that you need to create something that basically will siphon off from your paycheck if you have a job or a way for you to basically go, right, I need to take money out before it goes to this account. Mm, yeah. So that actually you are sort of going, no, this this is being redirected to me so that I can start building up a way for me to escape because in some cases it has to, it's that people are saying I, it has to go straight to this particular account and I, that's shared and that's under you know that's being controlled by someone other than me so there's some interesting solutions that are being talked about and are being built and I believe that was one that was um at a kind of hackathon uh project day that she was at so I think there's some really interesting opportunities that could do exactly that what you're talking about there in terms of actually helping people to secretly start building up their fuck off fund or whatever they want to call it um, but I do I agree it's a nice it's a good way of putting it and it's 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 it, but I think those currently a lot of those are quite small the slight exception is that so Santander in 2020 launched a campaign called in someone else's shoes it was it, it was I believe led in the US so that's probably why we didn't see as much of it over here however it was very much about like identifying why it's so difficult for people to leave domestic violence in general but also the role that financial abuse has within it and they did a really fascinating sort of pop-up where actually in the center of the financial district that you could go and visit the house and get a perspective on what is a very serious and under discussed topic and but it was all to do with highlighting the launch of a micro lending program designed to help women reclaim their financial freedom so these ways for women to start rebuilding um, a life after they've left particularly because I think coercive control is something that still often affects people even after they've long left a relationship so it was a really fascinating campaign I think there are tools that are being built slowly but surely we just need to we just need more of them and sooner. Um, there are so yeah. many ideas. There are so many the points both of you had made about the, you know, the button to get out of the website and the, the siphoning off of the funds. I hope mm. all the banks are listening and building it now. Well, I, think, <laughs> I think just to kind of go back. So, I mean, I did a feature at the start of this year, which was, I mean, obviously I cover Asia, so it was Asia focused, but it was really looking at kind of banking for women. And it was this idea of that, you know, when you're trying to... Um, create more inclusive banking environments and you know there's been great strides taken in that in recent years but actually there's like a really stubborn percentage of the population especially in some developing markets which is women where they still don't have bank accounts and it's about identifying the blocks that stand in the way of that and some of the things that came out of that were really really interesting and quite innovative in a lot of ways like um you know kind of finding ways to make it more accessible to women you know if, if they are mainly staying at home and like i say in a more developing market and they can't physically get to a branch and they can't open an account and how to work around that and find out you know the different issues as well maybe potentially around literacy and things and i just think stuff like that is not exactly what we're looking at here but it shows that if you think innovatively you can actually do something that can help mm-hmm. so i think mm-hmm. maybe for the banks it's about looking at well this is the problem how do we solve this rather than just kind of like saying oh yeah you can these are the things that you can do or you can talk to your bank 
branch or whatever, you know, it's actually, well, what can you do to help these women, like, or anyone, like, leave this situation? Mm-hmm. Um, it's maybe about being a bit more innovative and a bit more thinking, asking more difficult questions, coming up with more difficult solutions, but they will actually have results, you know? <laughs> it's, yeah. It's interesting, though, that you use the word, like, innovative there. Mm. Because in some ways, I think it's actually a really... Some of these are really simple solutions. And actually, if you prioritised, like, a different audience, i.e. a female audience, non-binary audience, audiences that aren't necessarily the traditional demographics of, of white and male, then actually you end up with different products which are built for those audiences. So there's a, there was a figure that was shared um, by the team at Your Juno said that 70% of fintech teams are male with huge gender disparities in product and engineering teams, meaning those products are built by men mm. for essentially what ends up being a male audience. They don't think of necessarily the same issues that we might think of. So actually the desire to build up your fuck-off funds, the desire to have these micro sort of lending facilities, the like, you know, wanting to have more control, wanting to have see your money in a different way. And actually um, Lou Smith from uh, Innovate Finance had a quote, that was really really good and it was just like who are you leaving out of the room and actually Mm. if you bring people into the room when you're building these products when you're having these conversations when you're developing campaigns you end up with what is seen as innovative but some of those solutions are so 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 simple Mm. Mm. so we're we're running a little bit out of time but I wanted to kind of have a just a, a question I mean I agree with you completely that there are lots of people left out of the room when when developing especially financial products but it it does seem like questions around you know what role your bank has in your personal life to maybe Mm. protect you has been happening more and more recently why do you think that is do you want to maybe go you first Kimberly why why are we having these conversations now I think maybe now because with I suppose the rise of kind of digital banking mobile banking like the your relationship with your bank has become a lot closer and like the amount of information that you can have as well. I mean, especially I think it was the, the whole GDPR thing where you suddenly could have all this access to all your granular details and stuff. But like, actually, that's great. Like you're in fully in control of your finances. So actually your relationship to your money and to your bank has changed. And you realize like that actually it's it's much closer maybe than you first thought. You know, the bank is not just a, a big hole where you just shove your money until you need it. It's actually, you know, it's a place where there's so many other things going on and like the amount of data that they know about you as well. I mean, and you know, if, actually, yeah, even like with data, you know, is that not something that maybe banks could flag up if suddenly you start making random transactions or money starts getting withdrawn from somewhere that you don't normally go to? And is this not a, oh, is this maybe someone else's partner's doing this? I don't, I don't know. But it's just where there's so much data, for example, available there. It's just a thought I just had, you know, would that not be something where it can identify a, an unusual pattern? You know, I get text messages sometimes from my from my bank, I'm sorry, from my credit card company if I'm like, do a slightly strange transaction or like I ordered a very expensive Uber to Heathrow Airport the other week and I got flagged as like, is this you? It's like, yes, it is. But like, you know, something as simple as that because it's outside of my the realm of my normal activity, you know, would not the bank be able to identify that as well if suddenly, like you say, you no, know, suddenly gambling websites come into the equation mm-hmm. or large sums of cash mm-hmm. start getting withdrawn, you know? Is that not something that maybe they could start asking questions? Mm. Yeah. What do you think? Why do you think we're having these conversations now? I think when it comes to specifically issues like domestic violence and the relationship with financial abuse, it's partly because actually, to your point earlier, so the 16% of people who um, have experienced this particular form of abuse. However, 39% of people in the same survey said that they'd experienced behaviours associated with economic abuse, but they didn't think they were a victim. So actually, I think there's a, a certain element of people are beginning to understand that some of these conversations need to happen because people aren't recognising that they are, in fact, a, like a, a, a survivor. Then there's also the fact that, you know, it, during the pandemic, apparently 1.6 million people have said that their um, sort of situation escalated dramatically during the pandemic, and particularly during lockdown. So I think there's a real, there's definitely a reason for why right now those conversations are happening. I think more broadly, why we're having conversations about, you know, building for responsibility and all those kind of things. Actually, some of it comes down to the fact that, you know, we have seen the end of the unconscious consumer. We now have a society that is built around this understanding that, you know, they want, they expect more from businesses because they see more from businesses. There's a 24-hour news cycle. We're engaging with what people are saying and we're saying, actually, why are you claiming this when you're doing that? You know, people are not sitting by and letting businesses go, you know, just sort of say what they want to say necessarily in the same way. And I think part of that is also due to the fact that 
you know, with, with the like following the sort of 10 years of austerity that we had before, um, and I'm sure we will see some very interesting things in the future as well. Actually, 77% of people in the UK are saying that the government and business need to be working together more to collaborate on social issues. So we're seeing this sort of a drive from individuals saying, we want you to step in here because this is failing over there. I think that is also driving this kind of awareness, and particularly with banking, it's therefore going, no, you can't just be telling me I need a debit card and that you want to sell me a mortgage. You also have to stand for something. Mm -hmm. Oh, very interesting. Banks that stand for something. Anyway, Kimberly and Harriet, thank you so much for joining us for this very interesting topic, which we will continue having the discussions over. Thank you. Welcome to the second part of episode two of Functional Banking Magic, Making Banks a Safe Space. From financial crime, domestic abuse, and financial control to addictions that impact your bank balance, what role do banks play in creating a safe space to take charge of your life? As always, I'm Liz Lumley, Deputy Editor at The Banker, and we are about to dive into this discussion with three leading banks. To start us off, I am joined by Catherine Rudder, Director of Group Vulnerability at Lloyd's Banking Group. Hello, Catherine. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Nice to meet you, Liz. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. This is a really sort of a, an, an important topic only because I think it fits into a, a wider topic that I always like to discuss, which is kind of the role banks and financial institutions play in, in your life and in a society in general. Um, so that's kind of my first question to start off our discussion. You know, how do you view a bank's role in, in society? The role of banks in society is actually really key to Lloyds Banking Group. We've just um, reviewed what our purpose is, which the purpose for the bank then helps us to decide on everything that we do um, and does it link back to the purpose. And the purpose has remained as helping Britain prosper. Mm -hmm. Now, when we talk about helping Britain prosper, we actually look at all of our customers and so to your point that means that what we really want to do is help all of our customers in whatever situation they're in both from a financial well-being and also from a financial capability side of things so how mm -hmm. can we help people to get stronger from that side and really we we really want to help people in what we call their moments of truth so those those moments that we know that life being life can throw up challenges to us at any time, totally mm. unpredictable. And we want people to feel that they can come to us for that support. Um, and it's amazing how we can help and support customers. And I have to say colleagues mm. um, in circumstances from that point of view. So, so for me, we've got a massive part to play, especially Lloyds Banking Group having one in four um, people across the UK have got a bank with us. Then mm. actually we've, we, we've got an awful big role to play in this. No, it's interesting. I mean, I, I don't want to be glib about it, but when you look at issues around domestic abuse or addictions and gambling, I mean, th these are messy, complicated problems. Um, yeah. You know, like how, how do they impact how kind of a bank develops products? The starting point that we always take is that we're not experts in this. Mm -hmm. So traditionally, this was never anything that a bank would look at. And so what we do is try and find the right third parties or normally the right charities that are the experts and then ask them to come and help us to tell us what we need to do to help and support um, the customers from that point of view. Mm -hmm. We've had enormous support from surviving economic abuse. We've actually got one of their colleagues, what we call embedded within one of our telephony teams. So that, because no situation, it's not something that you can just write, mm. you know, guidelines on and yeah, say script. that every <laughs> single customer. Yeah. So you need somebody there who can help every time we find a different circumstance. So we, we go out there and we try and find the experts, be it cancer with Macmillan, et cetera, to, to help us so that we can understand what we can and cannot do. Mm. I mean, it's interesting. It's kind of one of those problems that, Sometimes for the person being affected, it's hard for them to come forward and ask for help um, because they might not be in a situation where they're they're able to do that or, or even recognize it. I mean, how you mentioned like your customer service and, and, and telephone team, you know, how are the staff kind of trained to look out for, for signs of, of, of these types of issues? Again, it, it's it's just 
comms, comms, and more mm. comms. So mm. um, we firmly believe that you, you've hit the nail on the head. A lot of people actually um, are hit by something like this, particularly financial um, side of things, and don't even know it. Mm. So you know, there's a there's a, a number of kind of active listening things that we train our colleagues with, things to look out for. They'll never spot every case, especially if a customer doesn't tell them. Mm. But there are various examples. And when we get certain case studies, so, you know, we've had a recent case study of somebody who was really supported by a branch colleague who was an elderly gentleman who, unfortunately, a family member um, was actually impacting them from a, a financial point of view. Mm. And actually by sharing those stories, so we'll do something similar to a podcast and we'll share it so that it's people showing this is a real life example of something that, in fairness, the branch colleagues spotted, the customer didn't even realise what was happening and we've been able to help them and, and, and essentially help them from a big financial economic point of view. Yeah. No, it's interesting. And as I mentioned before, these are kind of very complicated issues. I mean, are there are there any kind of constraints on a bank about, you know, how far they can go to help somebody? Or is it really just at the end of the day, you have to wait for the, the customer to come to you? Well, the constraints, sometimes there's legal constraints, mm. which we really um, are trying to work hard with UK finance and the rest of the industry to understand how can we um, do the right lobbying, et cetera, to make sure if somebody's got a secured loan that's in two names, um, that, that causes complications as to how far we can go from that point of view to help a customer who particularly has been suffering in this way. Mm. Um, but yeah, so for us, it's... It, it, from a limit point of view, it's, it's almost how do we engage the customer in a way so that they don't feel threatened, they don't mm. feel insulted by being asked certain questions, mm. so that they'll be open with us, to be honest, and share um, what their support needs are with us, so that then we can make sure that every time they come and have an interaction with us, we're dealing with them in a really empathetic way. Mm. So I wanted to get kind of your, you know, your like sort of knowledge of of the scale of of some of these issues. I mean, in terms of, you know, you mentioned you know, financial control, their domestic abuse issues, you know, people might have gambling. Who are the types of of demographic or the types of people that you see getting into these types of situations? Like what 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 is the, the common the common uh, factor that you see often? There isn't a common theme, mm. and I think that's what makes it so difficult it can for be anybody. colleagues yeah. to spot it. And also, I think that's what makes it sometimes so difficult for people to admit it to themselves because mm. they almost put themselves in a certain demographic as a customer and say, "Well, this can't possibly be happening to me." <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, we've got we've got a wonderful example of a customer that we've helped with surviving economic abuse who actually she kept saying to herself all the time, "But I've got an amazing job. I work in the centre of London. I can't possibly." Be allowing this to happen to me and mm. so it, took quite, it takes quite a lot for those people to actually come forward and say I need help mm. simply from a gambling point of view we can see people who've got very little in their accounts who may have a gambling problem we can see people who have got lots of money in their accounts who've got a gambling problem mm. so it's, it's across the piece and, and I don't think there's a particular demographic that falls foul to this yeah no it is very interesting it is it is basically all of us and you know a few people and all of us at the same. I mean, but like in terms of, I'm just thinking of your, like this, you know, your customer service people, the people at the end of the phone, like how often do they have to deal with situations like this? It's not as frequent as you would think. Mm. So actually, if you looked at um, the huge volume of calls that a Lloyds Bank call centre gets, which is in the millions every year, then, then it's more in the hundreds of mm -hmm. the calls that would relate to something like this. And that's why we've set up a dedicated team. Mm -hmm. So so what we realised quite quickly was that we can train people to try and possibly spot some of this. But when it comes to then talking to the customer and advising them on how we could help them, we need a specialist team. Mm. And so we created what we call a moments of truth team. The calls will go through to those guys 
they've had additional training. As I say, they've actually got somebody embedded from the charity with them to help them as well. Because sometimes we can't, you know, solve all of the customers' problems mm. and we then need to understand which other charities or third parties or government bodies do we need to advise them to go to next um, so that they can help everything that they need to need support and, and guidance with. For our global audience, Lloyd's Banking Group is one of the one of the oldest and 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 big uh, banks here in the UK. Uh, but what you know, from your position, what more do you think the bank banking industry, at, as an industry, can do to to fight some of these issues and support their customers? I think the biggie is trying to trying to work to get legal solutions mm-hmm. for um, some of the secured aspects. And um, from that point of view, we have you know big instances where where we feel that we could do more but legally we we have certain lines that we can't cross and then I do think it's it's sharing the case studies um you know anonymously if Mm -hmm. that's the right way of doing it Mm -hmm. but I think we need to keep talking about it because I think the big the big thing for me with this is that we've got a lot of customers we've got a lot of colleagues who are in denial about whether Mm -hmm. this is happening to them and so we won't really know the extent of this until it becomes something that we can openly talk about. If we think about mental health, it was only a few years ago where people would never talk about mental health and mm. whether they had anxiety, etc. And I think we've transformed the openness that we get with customers and colleagues, certainly from a colleague point of view in Lloyd's now, people are really open about that. We need to, and we only got there by constantly talking about it and making it normal. Unfortunately, this is in the same bag that we need to start talking about it more. Mm. No, I completely agree with you. The more the more you talk about issues, the, the easier it can be to find some sort of solution eventually. Yeah, interesting. Catherine, thank you so much for, for chatting with me. I, agree, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you ever so much. Wonderful. Joining me today is Neil Mitchell, Head of Customer Risk at TSB Bank. Hello, Neil. How are you? Hello, Liz. I'm very well, thanks. Thanks for having me along. Thank you so much. I know you're coming from from, uh, lovely Scotland. I hope you're having better weather than we are down here in London. It's rather cold and gloomy. It's certainly been fine for the last few days, no doubt at all. (laughs) Lovely. We're going to start off this discussion. I know we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, the way banks kind of support customers. But this this topic is is really uh, special to me because I always I often like to examine kind of that role banks play in society outside of just you know, holding your your deposits and letting you make payments. So I really wanted to start off with a nice big general question. And I wanted to get your view on what, like how you view a bank's role in our society in general. Yeah, so, so I think banks have a, a critical part to play in the infrastructure in, in, in society. Um, and certainly in the UK and I'm sure in other countries around the globe as well. Um, I think in TSB, we embody that through our purpose. Um, you know, we have a purpose, money, confidence for, for everyone every day. And that's not just for our customers. Um, that's for, you know, for, for, for everybody that we interact with. And that includes our, our, our suppliers, uh, the, the, the businesses we work with, the communities that we serve and, uh, and how we help them grow. And, and also, of course, the environment as well. And we capture quite a lot of that under a, under a banner um, we've branded the Do What Matters plan. Mm. And I think that reflects where banks need to place themselves um, in society nowadays. They need to take a look at the the larger picture and not just at their their own um, profit and loss account and balance sheet and and consider um, consumer needs in the widest sense. Mm. Can you tell me a bit more about the the the, the Do What Matters campaign? Yeah, of course. Um, so we, we've got five pillars that we we, uh, we look at in that. Uh, we, the first one's around our, our overall purpose, so we, how we help people have money confidence. Um, so we do that. We, we've got um, we've got money confidence experts in our branches and on the on the telephone and on videos that can can help all of our customers. Um, we treat our businesses fairly and help them grow. Um, we look to pay our suppliers very promptly, 95% of suppliers. Uh, we aim to pay within 10 days of receiving the invoice. Um, uh, we've engaged with, a, in that space, a significant number of female business owners. 
um, in partnership with Enterprise Nation. So we want to do work with the business community as we see that as being part, a key part of the economy. Um, and we're aiming, the third pillar is we're aiming to create a truly inclusive workplace. Mm. Um, so, so we understand bias and um, not just behavioural biases of our customers, but the unconscious biases that will exist that we, we all have. We've done a lot of training with our people to, uh, to, to help them understand how to manage their unconscious biases. Mm, no. And the fourth, the fourth pillar is around working locally with our communities to help them thrive. So we, we work across a wide range of um, community um, uh, charity, community partners, um, where we, we raise funds, um, we support um, uh, the work that they do. So, for instance, um, in, in Scotland, we're running a pilot at the moment to, to help people who are homeless mm -hmm. um, get access to banking, which is... Uh, is seen as the starting point to, to helping homeless people get back and to mm. integrate back into society. And that's a small pilot with one of our charity partners in Scotland. And we're considering ways on how we can uh, develop that going forward. And the last pillar, but by, by no means the least important in, in the world we, work, we live in working at the moment is uh, our aim to reduce our impact on the environment mm. uh, while helping our customers and our partners, our colleagues effectively do the same. So, you know, we're looking to, we purchase all of our electricity from renewable sources. Um, we're aiming to reduce our business traveling. We're aiming to reduce paper consumption. Um, and at the same time, we, we, have a, we, have a, we have our own sort of um, focus group or forum called the Green Team within TSB who, who help lead this. And it's a, it's a colleague-led um, forum. Some of the things that we're talking about today, when you look at, you know, issues around uh, domestic abuse or, or addictions and gambling. You know, you mentioned helping people that are homeless uh, get get on the, the banking ladder. These are these are complex, messy problems. They're not they're, they're not easily solved and and easily dealt with. I mean, what how does how does how does some of those uh, the, those issues impact how TSB develops products for your customers? Yeah. So we've we, we've done a a lot of work in this space, and it, it's broader than just I think what you've um, articulated there, Liz. It's 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 taking that holistic approach at customers who are vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And so when we do develop products and services, we we review everything we're doing through a through an impact assessment tool, which is is you know, a bit jargon speak, but it effectively means that we make sure we consider the impact on all of our customers and. Uh, we don't have any behavioural biases, which I mentioned earlier, to any particular groups. Um, so, so that's how we that's how we look upon it. Um, we, when, when we're developing, building products and services, um, we're also doing a lot of work around. Um, you mentioned gambling there, mm. I think. So, you know, later this year, we're aiming to launch card controls mm. that will allow customers to control um, how they they interact with them um, with gambling businesses and give them more control of their banking mm -hmm. and you know that ability to um, switch on and switch off with some controls built in from our end as well in terms of you know domestic abuse and economic control we've made a number of changes um, to, to help um, uh, uh, customers and non-customers who are suffering from that so from customer perspective we can do things like um, open up a bank account that's not in the, the local town where the customer is living right. um, so that uh, their par partner can't try and trace them to earth um, through the bank and, uh, and, and, and look, look for them that way. And then we've got our safe spaces where people can come in and visit us um, and know that they're, they're operating in a, in a safe environment. Mm. Um, I, I think it's fair to say that, like all banks, you know, there's more to do in this space and we continue to have to, to, to evolve and train our colleagues um, to support customers in these difficult situations. You know, I'm interesting. I'm I'm really glad that you mentioned the the safe space at a bank because I'm I think you know we we had spoke a few months ago about um, an article I wrote about um, uh, banking for people with with uh, with with some we did. Uh, uh, physical uh, barriers. And you mentioned about, you know, having safe spaces in branches. And I was kicking myself because I could, just couldn't include it in the feature. And it, you're kind of one of the inspirations for doing this topic as, as a podcast. I mean, like, how does that, it, this is kind of, you know, kind of branching off with this, 
idea that a bank is just a lot more than a place to store your money and get your paycheck. Like, like how does this work having a safe space at a bank branch? Um, you know, how, how are the staff trained to handle that type of thing? So, so we've trained, uh, you know, a large number of colleagues with some, with some specialist training in this uh, in this space, uh, to so they can help customers, and probably more importantly, is that they can identify it when a customer comes into the branch mm-hmm. and offer the relevant support and o- offer a conversation in in a private room, um, and just put the customer at ease and and give them the comfort that they require. And I think that follows from the training we did, which I think I maybe mentioned last time we spoke, around what we call tailored support. So helping helping our colleagues identify when they interact with a customer, if they've got a vulnerability of, of any type, and uh, and how they then um, can, uh, you know, what, what support we can offer, what tailored support we can offer, and then make sure that we provide that through through uh, on a consistent basis across TSB. And we can now do that through not just our, our face-to-face offering within branches, uh, but also um, also within uh, you know our telephony and our what we call TSB Smart Agent, which is our conversational banking offer. So we we've trained people up to be able to identify vulnerability of, of all types. Are, are there constraints to what a bank can do to to help someone? I mean, or, or are you really kind of bound by letting people come to you? Like, what what are what are some of the constraints from legally? There are constraints. Um, you know, we, we can't solve everything. We have expanded it across all of our branches. So we, we did try it on a pilot. Um, there are 5,600 safe spaces nationwide. So it's not just banks, uh, but there's pharmacies. Um, you know, there's been support from uh, the domestic abuse charity Hestia um, and also the People's Postcode Lottery. Um, so, so if the bank can't help, there are other places where we can uh, help direct customers to. Um, but you know, I, I think the bank's a good place. It's central to the community. It's somewhere where customers recognise that it's a kind of trusted brand within the community. My final question, really, is is to get your view on kind of what the financial services industry in general, like, what more can they do to support. Uh, some of the some of the messy and complex issues that we as humans uh, sometimes find us in that can seriously impact our bank balance. The thing is that people who encounter, encounter say, one form of abuse, like domestic abuse, often encounter other forms, such as financial or economic abuse. Um, you know, and I think banks have a key part to play in, in helping to offer financial education for victims to help mm. them become independent and confident in managing their finances. Um, you know, and so another example of this um, in this vein would be that, you know, we are now adopting a no tolerance policy on bank payments being used as a means to send abusive messages. You, you'll have seen the, the bit where somebody sends a, a one pence um, payment <laughs> to, to another customer and then puts something fairly abusive within the rest within the, um, the reference. <laughs> How often does that happen? <laughs> God. I, I think yeah. it happens more often than any of us thought it did. Yeah, um, wow. And I think the volumes are reasonably significant. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, our zero tolerance policy on that is, um, you know, we will close the accounts of people sending these messages. We provide a, a kind of wide range of support, you know, as I said, through safe spaces and that just helps customers it gives them you know they can come in any it, they don't need to be a customer as i said they can call the police mm. or they can just access a, a phone to give give a friend or a family member who they know can help them at a call in a safe manner mm. wonderful no very very interesting discussion neil thank you very much for sitting down with me today thank you liz wonderful my thing. pleasure So joining me today is Maxine Pritchard, Head of Financial Inclusion and Vulnerability at HSBC. Hello, Maxine. Hi, Liz. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to start off with with, uh, with with kind of a general question because th- this topic is really um, special to my heart. I often think about the role that banks play in, you know, in, in our wider society outside of their sort of core function of, of taking deposits and making loans in a regulated environment. Um, so I really wanted to get your views on that sort of overarching question about how do you view a bank's role in society? 
Yeah, I, I agree, Liz. So I think it's really important for, um, for banks to recognise how the circumstances that somebody is facing can actually have a really marked impact on the way that they're able to respond to different situations and how their risk to harm can be heightened, actually, mm. because, um, you know, they might be more susceptible to being scammed or, or at greater risk of abuse or, or simply making um, sort of poor financial decisions because of, because of the circumstances that, that they're in. Um, and people rightly want to feel safe and protected by their bank mm. um, and absolutely should be. Um, that's our most basic role um, is to look after someone's money for them. Um, so we really, you know, we really must recognise and, and understand the different circumstances that, that people might face, such as abuse or mm. addictive tendencies, dealing with family bereavement or a critical illness, all of those um, situations that actually any one of us could, could face tomorrow. Mm. Um, so it's really important that um, that we create ways to to make sure that we're minimising that that risk to harm, um, and that we are doing our most basic job of um, of keeping people safe. The title of, of this episode is is making banks a safe space. Um, you know, how does how does a bank like HSBC do that in in reality in practice? All of the different tools that that we have available. So whether that's opening an account with a sort code that isn't in, that isn't traceable to a, a geographic location, mm. where those financial ties need to be maintained, so it it keeps someone um, someone's location protected. Um, building into our terms and conditions to separate joint accounts and and remove additional card holders without the permission. Um, of the abuser mm. um, and most recently um, I'm delighted to be able to, to share the HSBC all of HSBC UK's branches for, for anyone that's experiencing domestic abuse can go to any one of our branches and, and have access to a safe space um, where they can access that that sort of specialist support mm. um, and the, you, you may be aware of the, the safe space scheme this mm. Um, launched by Hestia, domestic abuse charity, and, and as part of their UK Says No More um, campaign. So really, it, it provides a safe space for local people, not restricted to HSBC customers, mm -hmm. for people in society to um, have a safe space so that they're able to um, perhaps access a support helpline, um, or contact a, a family family member or friend, or you know, just just having that that safe environment um, that they can that they can go to and get the support that they need. It very much ties into that idea of the bank as part of society and a place where people, you know, uh, kind of trust and and feel safe in anyway. So it's it's a really interesting scheme that's been launched in the UK. Absolutely. Some of the, the things we're talking about, you know, domestic abuse, uh, you know, addictions, you know, you, you mentioned like bereavement. These are these are complicated, messy mm, human yeah. problems. You know, how does that impact how a bank develops a financial product? At HSBC UK, we we make sure that um, vulnerability is embedded into um, absolutely everything that we do and that, that considerations to vulnerable circumstances are, are considered wherever wherever we're talking about customer that we're considering vulnerability as well um, whether that's from understanding um, those customers that might need some additional support through to ensuring that, that our colleagues can recognize those signs of vulnerability and and then offer the most um, appropriate action um, and, and our specialist support teams um, can also work with with the customer and um, to find the most appropriate support because of course as you said it it can be very complex and no two situations are the same mm. and no two situations therefore need the same treatment so it's really important for us to to spend time to understand um what those specific needs of those of that individual is and how we can support from a banking perspective mm. um but but also our our frontline teams are only able to offer that best support if they've got the tools um, mm. to, to do that and that the products and services are, are designed in a way that, that really is, that sort of flex to people's change in circumstances. Um, so we've, we've actually got um, a framework that, that helps our, our product designers to, to consider vulnerability and to think about the, um, 
the things that they might need to implement within their product, um, whether that's a new product or it's a, a changing change in an existing product or, or service, to really think about what needs to be flexible, mm. um, how how people might access that product and, and how they, you know, how, how we can make it work for them right from the beginning. Um, so we've, we've, we've done a couple of things, a, num a number of things actually at, at HSBC. So um, things like um, our, our customers are able to apply a gambling restriction on their debit card right. um, and that blocks transactions made to gambling related merchants um, that has a three day cooling off period. Um, so that means that if somebody were to remove the, the gambling block, um, then their transactions will still actually be declined for, for three days. So it just gives okay. that, that period of reflection to, to decide, is it is it really right for me to remove the block that I previously decided to, to place on? Um, and then, you know, then they have the, the freedom to, to continue and decide whether um, they want to keep that, that block on or, or, or remove it still. Especially with addic addictions, it's it's very much about that impu impulse and in the moment you're kind of, yeah. you know, removing that. Um, but it, still, remo yeah. it removes someone from that sort of hot zone mm. um, and, and gives them the thinking time where they um, where they're not in in a more heightened state, mm. um, which which I know a, a lot of our customers will will appreciate. Mm. Um, and then you know, other things such as uh, the what we try to do is we think about solutions that could address multiple situations. So um, our customers can um, can request to have their, any lending requests, sorry, auto referred to a specialist mm -hmm. or auto declined. Um, so that means that depending on their circumstance, if they do apply for lending via any channel, um, it will either automatically refer on to a specialist just to add a little bit of friction into the journey um, so that more, more questions can be asked to make sure that it is really right for that individual at that point in time or that it's flat out declined. Mm. Um, and I suppose the, the difference would be what your circumstances are. We've seen, we've seen people apply the auto refer marker as an example um, where they're, they're quite concerned about their susceptibility to being scammed. Mm. Um, so they might apply that marker so that they that they can't be as easily accessed um, by scammers or, or from, from a fraud perspective. Mm. And then perhaps from an addiction perspective, um, not wanting to have access to further lending that might put them into more financial difficulty. Um, so it's it, they, they want that sort of flat out decline under no circumstances do I want my bank to lend to me. Um, mm. And we've seen that, you know, coupled with other solutions, all of these things can really build, build that right level of support for, for our customers. I mean, it's interesting. A lot of the stuff you're talking about, of course, kind of depends on the customer themselves taking that action, you know, like putting putting the gambling block on their account. I'm always concerned about, you know, when you look at that other messy human issues like domestic violence and and, you know, economic control, you know, how are the staff at the bank kind of trained to maybe recognize some of these environments or or support their customers when some of these issues come up? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, and it's 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 imperative that um, that our front line are able to spot those signs, mm. spot the warning signs, um, and, and recognise where there there might be um, abuse, as an example, mm. um, taking place. So we've got we've got a full a full suite of of training that um, that focuses on vulnerability, um, and actually all of our all of our colleagues regardless of grade, regardless of role, um, all get that same um, basic uh, awareness of, of what we mean by vulnerability and, and financial inclusion, so that we've all got a consistent understanding of, um, of what our approach is. Mm. And then this is followed by um, a suite of different modules that focus in on, on certain themes um, to give a, a much more in-depth understanding of that uh, specific vulnerability and, and financial abuses is absolutely one of those. Um, and, and then also um, having specialists available is, is really, really important so that when those signs are recognised, you might, um, you know, as, a, as somebody in the branch, you might only come across that situation once, um, whereas we've got a team of specialists who... Um, very sadly, um, see 
situations all the time um, and they've got the experience to deal with some of those more complex cases um, and they can really chat through with the customer to to identify what the best support is for their individual circumstances um, mm. and we, we've we've um, had some brilliant training from they're really from surviving economic abuse on on how to spot those signs and mm. what that support might look like no, it's really interesting. I mean, is there, but are there constraints? Are there legal constraints about like how much a bank like HSBC can do in the, in these types of circumstances? Legal constraints, but also um, I think um, customer safety constraints as well. Um, so um, we're absolutely committed to identifying and supporting customers experiencing abuse, but the support will, will vary very differently depending on whether the the customer is in a in that sort of victim situation Mm. and they're currently being abused or whether they've managed to um get away from their circumstances and they're and they're sort of in that survival survival situation um so you know for example it, it might not be appropriate to inhibit someone's accounts if they're still directly in an abusive situation because Mm -hmm. Um, it could put them absolutely at risk, you know, it could tip off the perpetrator um, and put them at at greater risk. So I think particularly with this subject, it is so difficult to know, to to be able to put a a blanket response for different situations because everybody's circumstances is so different Mm. and we're very, very mindful of... um, not making the situation more dangerous for for the individual, making sure that we're putting in the support that that they want and need, and that we can we can help them with. Um, so I suppose it's less from a less from a, a, a legal perspective. Mm. You know, there are there are constraints around um, data sharing, mm-hmm. but I think it's more it for this particular subject. It's more around the personal safety of the of the individual yeah that that would probably be my mm. my my bigger concern <laughs> yeah exactly I mean it, it, it's interesting I mean some of the things that we're talking about you know happen to a minority of people but it also can happen to anybody really in any 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 part of uh any any stage of life or part of society but how often does does a bank like yours need to act like how often do these these issues arise it's it's really difficult to say mm. um, how how often because the support varies so much. It's quite it is quite difficult to, to pinpoint some numbers. Um, but doing a very um, sort of high level search on the language that our customers use um, and where they're specifically mentioning financial abuse mm. or domestic abuse, we're actually seeing um, across the contact centre or um, live chat tools an average of two calls a day. Wow. which really surprised me how how high that volume was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and about a third of those are, are actually looking to separate their their accounts, their, mm-hmm. their joint, their, they, they might have a joint account and are looking to separate out into a sole account and, and sever those financial ties. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we know through our no fixed address service that, that offers the ability for someone that hasn't got access to um, to a fixed address, um, so therefore can't evidence their address. We've we've got a service that they are able to via charities. They're able to open a bank account with us, um, and we we are linked with several domestic abuse charities, and, and can see that across those um, just specific to those domestic abuse charities, over a hundred accounts have, have been opened through through that service. So there is there is clearly there is clearly a need there um, that we're that we're addressing. Just for the sake of our audience, you're you're HSBC UK, um, so That's we're correct, talking about yeah. charities charities in the UK. That's I mean, correct. in in terms of in general, I mean, what what more do you think the banking industry, the financial services industry, can do to fight some of these issues and, and support their customers? Oh, I think I think we're all extremely keen to um, to support customers, and um, I'm sure you'll hear from. Other other speakers that will, will confirm that you know everyone everyone wants to make sure that the service is as good as possible. Um, 
and through UK finance as, a, as an industry where we've developed the financial abuse code of practice, mm-hmm. which um, which guides firms on, on how they can support victims or, or survivors of abuse. Um, and, and as really I described with HSBC UK's strategy, um, that really does kind of consider the steps that can be taken throughout the organisation. So training, the specialist support, the availability of, of information, the monitoring and governance, um, so really does go throughout the the full um, the full service provision, um, and so I'm I'm just really proud that the HSBC continues to to work and shape um, shape that that industry work um, that industry response because in, in my view it's really important that we um, collectively support people mm-hmm. um, through that very, very traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and that from a banking perspective, at the very least, we can we can support and, and make it as easy as possible for, for, for people. Excellent. Wonderful. Maxine, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I greatly appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Functional Banking Magic, which runs monthly out of the banker. You can listen to this podcast on thebanker.com, Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you would like to be a guest on Functional Banking Magic, you can contact Liz Lumley at elizabeth.lumley at ft.com.